Carrie Lorenz. I say she's the first female fighter pilot in the world. I remember what she said, could we explore us coming on your roster? And I said, I don't want those other guys, I just want you. She's a phenom in the industry. Her fee has gone through the roof and she's more bookings than we can almost handle. My name is Krista Haverstock. I'm the president of C Agency. We represent and manage roster of elite corporate speakers. <laughs> to the outside world, I tell people that I run an agency uh, that represents motivational speakers, but we're so much more than that, but that's kind of the 30,000 foot view. And uh, where are you located today? I live in Dallas, Texas. Have you been there the whole time as you've been running your business? Yeah, I'm originally from Canada, but I've been in Dallas for 20 years now, and we have people spread all over the U.S. We have Nashville, Reno, Chicago, Dallas, College Station. <laughs> and so are you talking about your clients or also people who yeah. work for you? No, these are the people who work for me. None of us, we all operate, we all telecommute. Can you tell us, have you always been that way? Yeah, actually, you know, and I've had, uh, you know, I've had assistants in-house with me and it's been really a plus to have people in the office with me, but it's only ever been like one person. I, for a little while, it was, you know, two people in here and it was cramped <laughs> home office thing, right? But for the most part, the telecommuting thing has been amazing and it's afforded my people a lot more freedom. So I've been able to get, I think, more highly qualified people because I'm able to offer that kind of freedom. You know, they can work from home, they can take their laptop to the beach, they can do whatever they want to and they don't have to come into an office and commute. And with that, could you tell us, give us an estimation of, I guess, how many people work for you and I guess, general idea of revenues? Uh, yeah, well, we've got uh, 10 people that work for C Agency, including myself. A handful of us are agents, but a lot of us like double task on different things like logistics, like event logistics. And as far as the Inc. 5000 revenue, I think we did 4.2 million two years ago and or maybe it was this year. But yeah, my financial person sent me that. I haven't committed it to memory, but that's the number that's in my head. Could you tell us again how you got into this and it's like what you started about eight years ago? Well, you know, I've actually been in the industry 20 years, um, but as far as starting C Agency, yes, I did that eight years ago. We just celebrated our eighth birthday on July 1st. Congrats. Which is also Canada Day, <laughs> which is insignificant to everybody else but me and the other Canadians. So C Agency, well, I mean, I got into the industry. I fell into the speaking industry backwards. My brother is a professional speaker. He was actually in the Olympics. He, he uh, competed for Canada. And as a result, he you know, took his Olympic experiences and turned it into a speaking career, a very successful speaking career. He's actually a Hall of Fame speaker now and a New York Times bestseller. His name is Vince Pacenti. So if you want to look him up, he's one of the best. But And he uh, met and married a woman who ran a speaker's bureau. And so when I was looking to move to the States, she said, you know, we actually really need someone like you with your teaching background, because I was an elementary music teacher. She said, we need someone with your teaching background and your skills in front of, you know, <laughs> people of all ages and sizes to help build my company and, uh, you know, help with the speakers bureau part of it. So what I did is I, I came down to the States and started working at that speakers bureau and, and stayed there for 10 years and was back and forth between the States and Canada. And then, then went on the representation side, worked for one of the industry greats for a couple of years and saw that there was really a need in the industry for consulting and uh, helping speakers remove the barriers to bookings. And that's what we do best is we make sure that we have our speakers' materials and everything that they do is so 
finely tuned to be a selling machine so that it just sells itself. And so our speakers on our roster are really some of the most sellable in the industry. They're the easiest booking. And in a marketplace that's so fast paced, I think trying to get people's attention, you know, when there's so much white noise, it's uh, what, what we do best is cut through the noise and make something the most buyable or sellable product. Because, you know, there's a lot of buying and selling, but our speakers are the most bookable. And so that's what C Agency was built on was removing barriers to bookings. Was that difficult? Was that her company where you're leaving? And can you tell us about that transition? Uh, yeah, that was her company. And so it was difficult leaving Canada. Sorry, I want to make sure. Oh, I oh no, I guess it was your sister-in-law's company, right? She was started, was she in Texas and started it? Uh-huh. Or? Yeah. Okay. Could you tell us about leaving that? I mean, were, were there any issues when you said you wanted to leave and well, I guess you wanted to start your own thing? I was a top producer at her company. And so there was there was a ripple effect, right? But I am um, not getting into the nuances of the industry too much. Her speakers bureau was on one side of the industry, basically the buying and selling of speakers. And I went to the flip side of the industry, which is representation. So instead of being on the buying side of the speaker, I went on the selling side, if that makes sense. You know, there was no competition because I wasn't competing for clients or anything. So there was a ripple effect because, you know, I had really invested into the company and loved every minute that I was there. But being at a speaker's bureau, I felt more of a, and this is the comparison I've made over the years, I felt more like a, like a general practitioner, not to make myself a doctor, but (laughs) I felt more of it like a general practitioner and I wanted to be a specialist. So the general practitioner, I I sold any speaker to anyone for any event. And I was just kind of, you know, I could, I felt like I was the jack of all trades and master of none. And then going over to the representation side, I went to a small roster of speakers so I could be a specialist on each of their businesses. And that's what really, that's what really sparks me is being able to dig in and make a difference with their speaking say, oh, you know, like, have you thought about this and uh, you know what would make you more sellable is this and XYZ. And so when I'm able to roll up my sleeves and really know everything there is to know about one or two or half a dozen or 10 speakers or whatever it is, it's so much more fulfilling for me than the hundreds and hundreds of speakers that you have to be familiar with at a speaker's bureau. And I mean, could you give us, I guess, more of the details when just if there's someone's in your position, say they're at a company and what, how old were you at the time when you made that, you know, when you want to start your own company? Uh, it was a week before my 40th birthday. So, yeah. So, I mean, that, that seems like a huge transition. Could you tell us what, what else led up to it? I mean, I guess you wanted to be in a more niche person, but what, what else? I wanted to be more niche, but for me, really, and I don't, I know that maybe I'll change my mind later because people call me an entrepreneur and I just go along with it. I don't feel terribly entrepreneurial, but what I do think I am is fiercely independent and creative. And maybe that's all the, all the markings of an entrepreneur. I don't know, but I love the idea of having, or I love the notion of having an idea and doing it. Oh, I'd like the logo to look like this. Boom, done. Created it on my desktop. You know, Um, I want, oh, you know, I think the company should do this. Boom. I'm able to do it. And that's what I like. So I think more than entrepreneurial, I feel more in Independent, and that's that was really the catalyst behind me just going on my own and saying, "Gosh, I just I know this is going to work. I just know it, and I and it is working. It's uh, you know we're thriving, and the idea and the concept is so strong that I just don't think it can fail. So it's uh, it's one of those things that I just felt like it was a great idea and did it, and you know that's and that's what started me on my own path. So I mean, did you leave on a Friday from your old company and then just yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
That exactly. Actually, I left on a, I knew on a Friday I was going to have to quit on Monday and that's what I did. And over the weekend I was like, okay, let's get going. And I had zero capital, zero in savings. And uh, my husband at the time didn't work. Like he, he's, you know, a stay at home parent. And that was a decision we came to together, but boy, I made, I made finances tight. Holy cow. Did you have any in savings? Cause that, that seems like a big transition to make, especially. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Could you tell us more, I guess, about this? I mean, he said, I, I imagine, was your sister-in-law pissed or what? Well, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of pissed off people. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I, yeah, I think it was a, probably a huge loss, probably not to the bottom line, but to the culture too. And I think when people lose something, they maybe take it as a rejection and it wasn't at all a rejection. It was, I just needed to shift and change. Right. And so that's tough. That's just a cu- tough concept to, to, uh, to stomach. So I could imagine not having any money in savings, you know, maybe some of the family's not happy. Mm-hmm. And then on that Monday, how about, can you just walk us through the steps? I mean, did you, were you starting to work from home at, how did you start doing your own business? I just started with zero. And what do you need when you start a new business? You need a website, you need a company name. And I'm very fortunate to have landed in an industry with the smartest people on the planet, the smartest business people, all of whom, not all of whom, many of whom I had access to and would, many of whom would walk on hot coals for me (laughs) for whatever reason. I was able to source some great minds and say, I don't know what I'm doing. What do you suggest? Can you just tell me? And I had many, many phone conversations with people that were a lot smarter than I am. I had people come out of the blue that I didn't even know that were very, very good at this and say, I'm happy to mentor you. People who are my competitors, like t- technically my competitors right now sitting here in this chair said, let me mentor you. And she did. And I, you know, the, my clients were patient with me. Everyone was really patient with me. And, you know, this is a people business. I, you know, I, I joke and it's maybe not a funny joke, but I say I'm in human trafficking because, you know, I buy and sell people, right? But we are all there for each other and we support each other and you can't get away from that in this industry. So without the support of other people, I would have probably flamed out or crashed and burned pretty hard. But you know, I'm, I'm smart enough to listen to people who are smarter than me. I will say that much. Well, I'd been kind of listening for a while. I did listen to your first Patreon call and um, there's a couple guys in there that for what they did or what they were doing, it kind of intrigued me. And um, then I've heard a couple of the commercials or whatever that so-and-so was going to be on there clicked on your new episode the other day and I'm like, you know what? I'm here. I got to do this. Let's just talk about even the first week. I mean, you said you were talking to these people that they're helping you out. What were they telling you to do and what were you doing? I mean, what were the work hours like? How is it different? I think what they helped me do was see who I was, if that makes sense. Like, who are you at your core? I will tell you that one of the smartest things that I, and I actually came up with it myself, and I'm still proud of it to this day. I knew that it was just me, myself, and I starting this company. And, you know, everyone says, well, come up with a mission statement or, you know, that kind of stuff. Who are you? And I'm like, well, who am I? And I thought, well, if it's just just me, I'm going to take a personality test. So I took a bunch of those free online personality tests and they all had a bunch of commonalities. And I said, all right, so that's who C agency is because it's just me. So I just put it all in a blender and came up with a mission statement from, from, from my, these personality tests. I mean, I think that's smart. Actually, that's kind of what led me to get into more and to start doing this podcast is actually I started doing the same thing. I mean, I was getting a little tired of what I was doing and uh-huh. I'm like, well, I, don't, I might as well. I mean, I took one probably 10 years ago just to see what I'm good at. So mm-hmm. well, like I said, luckily it all led into hopefully what we're doing with the podcast. So cool. yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely a good thing. I, I think a lot of people undervalue it sometimes. Uh, you think you know yourself, but I mean, it's worth checking for 15 minutes to take a test, if you ask me. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And then, you know, and then other people, I let them, I chose, well, because I had to, but I chose to believe them when they told me I was good at something, because I think what we do, one of, one of my favorite quotes, and it's from a speaker, one of my favorite quotes is don't ignore the obvious. And I think that is one of the guiding principles of every so many decisions I make because I think it's so easy to ignore the obvious. I've seen speaker after speaker just ignore who they are because they think they need to be something else. When it's like, no, who are you at your core? What is the most important thing? Because that's going to go the furthest, the fastest is who you are at your core. And so the, uh, the don't ignore the obvious for me was who are you? You're a people person you know, love to have fun. The guiding principles in my company is do good, have fun, make money. That's it. It does not divert out of that because those are the, and that, that actually just fell out of my face. I was talking with my best friend over beers <laughs> when I was just had this in the back of my head, this company. And I was like, you know, I just, I don't know what I want to do. I don't even know what I want it to look like, but I just know I want to do good, have fun and make money. And to this day, that is my guiding. Those are the guiding words for me. And if those things like recently, and I think we'll probably end up getting to this, but recently I realized that I was doing good. I was doing okay, but I was not having fun. And I don't really even think I was making all that much money because, you know, all the money I was putting into God knows what, you know, marketing ideas and this and that and travel and everything, you know, it's like we're making lots of money, but just hemorrhaging it out and, and, and all those things when a business gets ahead of you. So I had to really step back and go, how do I find out, how do I find out how to do good, have fun and make money again? Because without that, I might as well hang it up and go back to teaching, which I wouldn't mind doing because <laughs> I loved it. But yeah, so you know what I'm saying? I just think you got to know who you are at your core or you'll get lost and you'll hate what you create. At what point did you, were you having that realization? Well, I mean, it's pretty fresh to be honest, uh, a couple months ago, not even, and I'm, I'm right in the throes. This interview timing is just funny actually, but I'm right in the throes of just a total, I don't know, uh, existential crisis, I guess, as a company, like who really are we? And I am committed to taking us back to the, the our roots and what our values are. Our values are do good. Our values are have fun and our values are make money. And the money thing will come from those other two things. So I think because I've been um, flailing on the first few or first two, the last one was bound to start uh, suffering. Well, you're saying, I guess even last year, I mean, when you're making four plus million in revenue, I guess most people wouldn't think that, but is it just at the bottom line where the expenses uh -huh. are creeping up? And so really, I mean, it doesn't really matter how much you're actually bringing. Yeah. Oh, it just doesn't matter. You know, and it's because also, you know, my, some of the, some of my greatest strengths are obviously, you know, so cliche, but they're your greatest weaknesses. And so the reason I started a company on my own was because I could do whatever I want. I had these great ideas and boom, boom, boom. Well, you know, then I keep having great ideas. They just are expensive now. And and so I had all these great ideas that I thought, oh man, this is going to, this is totally going to pay off. This will definitely pay off. And then too many experiments all in a row. And then because I was so distracted because of that and a bunch of personal stuff I had going on, didn't keep my eye on the ball. I think it's important, I mean, to talk about that, if you don't mind. I mean, so as far as personally, I mean, what things that were also slowing you down and maybe you weren't working as much or you weren't having as much fun. Can you tell us why? Oh, well, I mean, it's fairly personal, <laughs> but you know, family crisis, basically, so, I mean, I'll leave it at that. But, you know, when you suffer a trauma, and it was, I had a trauma a couple of years ago, and it's taken me a couple of years to recover. So the people that who work for me, I owe them a debt of gratitude that I could never repay because they filled in, they spackled the holes that that trauma left in my life. 
and compensated for me as best they could. And I'm right now, truly, actually, the last couple of weeks, I'm suffering the fallout from having had to disengage just for my own, like, survival, really. But, you know, now that I've poked my head up over the <laughs> over the wall, I've been like, oh, crap, whoa, let's fix this. And so, yeah, I've been in, uh, I've definitely been in crisis management mode the last little bit. I mean, I'll get there. I'm not worried about my company at all because it's so strong. Like, C agency is just such a strong, if, if it's the three little pigs, this is the brick house, right? It will not, you know, whatever comes at it will huff and puff, but it won't get blown down. But um, on the inside, it's a little bit chaotic because we're all having to link hands and be like, well, how do we fix this? And again, because this is a people industry, we all care very deeply about each other. I think that's what makes it even more poignant. People don't just go, oh, this company sucks. I'm going to work somewhere else. That would never happen here. But you know, there's just too much investment in each other. So we're really a family, my roster and my my staff included. I'm very, very blessed. If you've been in business long enough, everyone goes through ups and downs, you know, in life or whatever. And sometimes it bleeds over into the business. So yep. um, that's the only reason I was bringing that up. But I mean, what, so is this your only crisis that you've kind of had over the last eight years? I mean, I guess within the past couple of months, you said? Yeah, uh, yeah, it is actually. I mean, there's been like, there's always the, one of my speakers calls it the July scourge <laughs> because it's a... Uh, just like July is a quieter month and July and August. So speakers don't speak as much. So they slow down enough to look at their business. And usually they'll go, I have no business for August. You go, yeah, you didn't last August either. You know? And so you have to kind of like talk them off the ledge, but because I've been so MIA, um, I haven't had my eye on their business. So I haven't been able to prepare for the July scourge. So there's that, you know, so every summer, you know, uh, I don't know how many summers ago, a good number now, but you know, I had to take an advance on my credit cards to make payroll because there was no money coming in, you know, whatever. And then I paid it back the next month. So I know people who have it way worse than I do, but uh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it. I don't really see, I don't really see obstacles. I don't know. Maybe I've been hanging out with too many speakers. <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I just don't see obstacles. I can't even say it. It's so cheesy. I don't see obstacles. I see opportunities, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> I really shouldn't have even said that because it's so cliche. It's true though. I guess cliches come from somewhere. Right. Yeah. No, they're there for a reason. So, well, if it's all right, how about we backtrack and then come back to, I guess, where you're at today. When we're talking about those first couple of months about you actually starting the company, when did you have that first hire and when did you realize you can make it? Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. This is a bit of memory lane. This is kind of fun. I started in July and then someone I had worked with previously, I found out that he was available. So I texted him and said, listen, I need someone to help me out with um, some event logistics. Would you would you come on board? And that was like November, so July to November. Then he came on board, and we were together for quite a while. And then he he stayed with me for quite uh, all the years we're running together. I want to say two years or a year and a half. And then a gal who's actually with me now, she's been with me, on, I'm going to say on and off ever since, because uh, she came on when he left, he went for a different opportunity. He was working for a, a company in Canada. And uh, then she came on board to do his job. And then she was with me for another year or so. She went to work for the American Cancer Society. And I said, well, if you don't cure cancer in a year, I want you back. And so, so she came back to me a year later and said, well, I didn't cure cancer. Can I come back? <laughs> So it was, uh, it was kind of one of those things. So she's been with me a good five, five years, something like that. And then just adding people along the way. Well, could you tell us, I mean, I guess about your first customer with your company and how you're able to, I guess, get enough money to make that first hire? Because basically you had $0, right? When you started, correct? Well, 
this was a very commission-based industry. So I think I just put enough money aside. You know, the whole time he was with me, he made more money than I did. So there's he? Uh, the first hire. Okay. Yeah. Because that's what you do, right? Mm-hmm. And I valued him and I valued his work and I knew I needed him to grow. So, you know, I was feeding a family of four and he was feeding himself. <laughs> but <laughs> I gave him more money because that's what you do. And then... You know, things level out a bit, but that's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I wish I could remember exactly, but. Well, could you give us, give us an example of what a commission is like? I mean, how much you make and then basically were you training him just to be, I guess, an agent as well? So both y'all were basically agents? Uh, no, there's two sides of an agency. There's the booking part and then the um, logistics part, you would call that, or or event management, really. So up until the date books, that's the agent part and bit manager. But then after it's done, it's more admin. So it's kind of like starts with the contract and then goes all the way through like gathering flight information, making sure the ground transportation is set, um, getting the speaker to and from the event with the proper, you know, hotel confirmation number and all that, you know, and coordinating with the meeting planner. So that's what he was doing. He never trained to be an agent. And that's, there's some people I believe that have agent DNA and there are some people who don't. And I think they're, I think you have to have a, a bit of alpha, a bit of alpha in you to be an agent. And so he was, and they're hunters and they're gatherers. And I think that he was more of a gatherer and I'm more of a hunter. I just joined Patreon to support you guys. So that's something that helps you guys out. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Cool, you know? Yeah, I appreciate it. With the Patreon membership, you get this one-on-one call. Plus, we're doing two group calls a month now with past guests. Plus, there's an exclusive Patreon feed where you get special episodes if you're a Patreon member. Oh, man. Nice. I'll to listen to you. Awesome. Could you give us an example of how much you'd make on a booking a talent, especially when you're starting off your new company? Well, the industry standard is about what it is in the entertainment industry. So that's, you know, approximately 10% of any deal. So, and speakers fees range anywhere from, you know, my speakers at the time ranged anywhere from like 5k to 15k. So we would make, we'd make about 10%. It varies from speaker to speaker and agency to agency. So that's why I'm sounding evasive, but it's approximately that much. When would you say you made your first booking with the new agency? Probably within a month, within a few weeks. And then as far as the amount of people coming through, how many deals are you planning or were you closing at the time? And how many do you do today? You know what? I don't know. We I remember when it was a big deal when we we were all excited about doing one booking a day. It's like let's get a booking a day. And now if we don't get if we don't get a booking a day, we all start panicking. <laughs> so um, you know, it was like this big unobtainable goal to get one booking every day. But now if we don't do a booking a day, we all start looking at each other like, hey, where the bookings go? So what was your day to day like? I mean, are you just calling people, speakers, or are you calling the event places? How are you? What's my day to day like now, or what was it like uh, when uh, I back then? And then we can transition to what it is today. Yeah, my day to day at the beginning was working on the outbound marketing, and our model is that we are our clients are speakers bureaus. I don't outbound market to direct clients being the meeting planner, because um, that would be, in my opinion, opposition, direct opposition to the speakers bureaus, because speakers bureaus are marketing to direct clients, right? So uh, what we do is we market to direct, or pardon me, to speakers bureaus, and they, and keep my speakers in front of speakers bureaus, like here's the new stuff that they have, they're really worth considering, so that when speakers bureau representatives are on the phone with meeting planners, they think of my speakers first. And so that's what my day-to-day was. In whatever capacity I could, I wanted to get my speakers in front of speakers bureaus and make sure that their materials were the most bookable 
available uh, materials out there to make it the easiest booking for the speakers bureaus possible. How are you able to do that? And what type of speakers are they? I guess my, my basic fundamental values of the do good, have fun, make money. It trickles into the speakers as well, because they, they are all of that, you know, they all kind of have that similarity. So I have some real do gooders on the roster. You know, Doc Henley is a 2009 CNN hero founder of wine to water and is doing what he can as a tattooed Harley riding bartender from North Carolina. He's doing what he can to combat the world water crisis and raise awareness of the water crisis. And uh, he is a fantastic human being, an incredible speaker, and one of my dearest friends, and I'm just honored to represent him. So he falls squarely under the do good. And he's just an example. I mean, he's not the only one, but you know, I'm using him as an example. And then have fun. I've got several speakers who fall under that. One that springs to mind is Tim Gard. And he talks about how you can reduce stress and increase fun in the workplace to be more productive. And he is one of He's a Hall of Fame speaker, which is you become a Hall of Fame speaker by, uh, you know, <laughs> being the best at what you do. <laughs> Less than 1% of the population of speakers on the planet have his designations. So when he gets up there, he's just incredible on the platform and people laugh and learn. And so he's the have fun and make money. We've got productivity speakers. Uh, Mike Staver is uh, top of mind for me, Carrie Lorenz. She's the first female naval aviator, uh, um, aviator in the U.S. Navy. And uh, she speaks on leadership. Mike Staver as well. He teaches people to be more better leaders and helping overcome obstacles. So the both of them. So that's for me in the making money. So, and there's some crossover too, you know, there's a lot of fun in Mike Staver's presentation. So, he, and uh, there's a lot of good in Carrie's presentation and in Doc's presentation. It's, you know, it's very fun. So all of those things, if those speakers, if the speakers fall into those categories for me, then they're, they're a welcome addition. How did you get Doc Henley as a speaker? <laughs> I'm glad you asked about him because it's kind of a funny story. So with speakers, it's a fairly compact, limited industry. There are it's there are a lot of people in it, but it feels like in many ways we all knew each other. And so when I went over to the representation side, remember I mentioned that I had speakers who would, you know, walk on hot coals for me. It, you know, they knew that I knew what it took to sell a speaker. And so I was very attractive to them as an agent in my own under my own umbrella. So there was no shortage truly of speakers and there isn't, still isn't, no shortage of speakers who want on the C agency roster. Doc Henley is an interesting one. Um, Natalie Stavis is also the same. She was uh, running the Boston Marathon. She's a Harvard trained physician and she was running the Boston Marathon when the bombs went off. And so everyone ran away. She ran towards the bomb, um, the bombs and saved a bunch of lives. But uh, anyway, she's another do-gooder. But Doc Henley was at the very beginning. I started C agency July, 2009. And in December of, well, November of 2009 was the CNN heroes, right? And right before that, I was working a deal for one of my speakers on my roster at the time. And the meeting planner was about to book it. He called me back and said, you know what? Client pulled a fast one. Sorry, we're booking a guy named Doc Henley instead. And I said, who the hell is Doc Henley? Like, I was like, what do you mean? Well, 20 minutes later, I'd been on his website. I was like a legit fan of his. And so I sent him a message knowing, well, this guy doesn't know the first thing about the speaking industry. First of all, he will get chewed up and spit out of this industry so fast to make his head spin. And he's got something good 
to share with the world. And I wanted to be part of it. So I sent him a message on Facebook and said, Hey, I'm a new fan. Just wanted to let you know who I am. And if you ever have any questions about the speaking industry, give me a call. So I remember, I remember I was sitting at my kitchen table and my, my phone was face up and I saw this North Carolina number pop up and I was like, Oh my gosh. So I pick it up and he goes, Kristen, my name's Doc Henley. And he went, he said, I'm the, and I said, I know who you are. And, you know, it wasn't a good 30 minutes later, we were talking and he said, what would it look like if I was on your roster? And I said, it'd be awesome. He said, well, let me talk to my board and I'll get back to you. And we started working together. I'd never met him. I'd never seen him speak. I'd, I'd never even seen a tape on this guy. I didn't even know if he was any good, but God, if I knew that he had so much potential, you know, at the beginning of a company, you can do that, right? You can just jump in with both feet and you're so aerodynamic. You can make it work. But yeah, and those, those are the thrilling moments. And so here we are, God, like seven and a half years later, still working together. And, you know, Wine to Water, his organization has grown. They're in 25 countries. They're going to reach a million people with clean water. It, you know, I'm just so proud to be aligned with that organization. And so, uh, yeah, it's very cool. So that story with Doc is kind of a, a it's a bit of a rare gem, but um, it's one of my favorites. How about another one? Can you give us an example of another one on like how you would find them and make them your client? I don't know. There's always these twists and turns. I never know when I'm saying too much, but Carrie Lorenz that I mentioned, she's the, uh, I, I say she's the first female fighter pilot in the world, but she, she likes to say North America. She found me by way of another speaker friend of ours, and she just introduced me to her saying, I think you two need to know each other. And so, uh, you know, we connected on LinkedIn, a little bit of that. And it was kind of just, she was tiptoeing her way towards me. She was at the time part of another group of fighter pilots who were speakers. And so she went out with these fighter pilots and she was kind of their, you know, marketing person, go out and find opportunities, da, 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 da. So I was one of those opportunities that she wanted to, wanted to explore. And she, I remember when she said, you know, what, can we, you know, could we explore us coming on your roster? And I said, I don't want those other guys. I just want you. (laughs) And she, you know, again, she really hadn't had any speaking engagements of her own. So she said, well, listen, we come as a package deal. And I got on the phone with her and these other guys. I was like, listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't want you guys, but if I have to take you guys to get her, I will. And so they said, okay, fair enough. And I said, okay, prove me wrong. Well, no, I was right. They dropped away and she stayed on and she is, she's a phenom in the industry. She's absolutely taken it. Like her trajectory has just been absolutely vertical and she's just taken it by storm and her fee has gone through the roof and she's got more more bookings than, you know, we can almost handle. So she's, she's tremendous. And, you know, thankfully, and again, it's a relationship industry, but she's one of my very best friends as is Doc Henley. The two of them, I hold them very close to me, close to my heart and they will always be friends. She's another one. So she, she rocketed very quickly, but I recognized the talent in Doc Henley. I recognized the talent in in Carrie Lorenz. They were startups. I don't do that anymore because it is just too exhausting. But, you know, so now I take on established speakers, um, make sure that they're, everything stays strong and manage their business. What talent do you see in them when you're looking to bring someone on? I mean, I guess you said you don't do startup speakers now anymore, but back then. Just the obvious selling potential. You know, Doc Henley's, uh, like I said, he's a tattooed Harley riding bartender from North Carolina with a drawl and X factor to spare and a great story and a willingness to share it and platform skills. And, you know, there's marketability of these people. Carrie Lorenz is is six feet tall, gorgeous. She's got, uh, you know, I don't mean to, but it's packaging, right? It's kind of like it, it helps. 
and she's so uh, willing to work hard. Doc is so willing to work hard. And they both, it was so clear that they trusted me in the early days that they were like, no, you're the expert. You know what you're doing. Like, let's do this. And we would work together arm in arm to do it. And it, you know, in honesty, that's just because I've been so pinned under everything over the last couple of years. That's what I miss the most is being linked arm in arm with my speakers going, what can we do to build this and make it beautiful and make it succeed and make it what you want it to be. As a um, company grows, I've had to lead a company. And that's frankly, what sucked a lot of my joy is having to, I've been pinned under the administration of this huge (laughs) company. (laughs) So I have to find a way to get back to that. One more thing about that. And then we'll jump back to your company. I mean, you said earlier that Doc Henley, that if you came into the industry that they might get chewed up and spit out with. What do you mean by that as far as, I guess, new speakers in the industry? You know, when I first started working with him, he said, you know, I said, okay, well, let's, whatever um, question. I said, send me your sample contract or send me a copy of your contract that you would have sent because I think he did something for uh, Caterpillar or something. It was one of those big, I don't know why Caterpillar is coming to mind. I said, send me the, send me the contract you sent to Caterpillar. And he's like, oh, I don't have a contract. And I was like, sweet Jesus, man. <laughs> like, you know, you can only do that so many times before you completely screw something massive up. And so that's what I mean by that. Well, let's get back to, if you don't mind, I guess the middle of the company to now, I guess you, you said you've taken on more of the admin side and maybe that's where you're losing, I guess, your your fun in the company. And maybe yeah. that's what's not leading to the make money part. How did that happen over time? Just bit by bit, tiny bit by tiny bit. You know, my big ideas take some administration and then things catch fire and I have to put them out. And so then it, uh, you know, there's no one else to do it but me and the buck stops somewhere and it's always at me. So that's not very much fun, is it? And it doesn't really leave me time to interface with my speakers all that much when I'm trapped under all the administration of everything else. Yeah, it's just all of the, all the trappings of running a company that's on the Inc. 5000 list, you know, twice, by the way. Well, I mean, what do the other people do in your business? I mean, are you still the face that's supposed to be booking the talent? Do you have other people doing that now? Uh, How's that going? Yeah, well, I have, I mean, there's different agents in the company. So I've got a handful of agents. I'm just going to say handful to save us time. I've got a handful of agents who have speakers that they're responsible for. And I have my right-hand person who started out as an assistant, but now she's an agent. So she helps me a ton with my speakers. And that's that's how we run that. So the day-to-day, you know, I'm not as engaged with my speakers as I'd want to be, frankly, as and or as much as they want me to be. You know, that's the one thing immediately that I'm getting back to, that I'm going to become more engaged with my speakers because I miss them and they miss me. You said you had some issues, I guess, as far as, I guess, when you been growing the company. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to look at from, from your perspective where you said you put money into things that did not work out. I mean, can you give us some examples? Like, so hopefully yeah. listeners might be able to avoid that in their own type of companies. For many years, like five and a half years, I had a gal that worked with me, love her to death. She's like family to me. So, but she worked for me when she was at school doing her master's in counseling to because she wanted to be a registered therapist. So the time came when she graduated about a year and a half ago. Sure enough, she graduated and we were looking at things. I'm like, how could you continue working with C agency? And and we came up with the speaker therapy division, which is still running, but just in an outsourced way to her. But, you know, we, we worked and worked on this speaker therapy division. And I think it was just too much of a diversion from who we are, our core. And uh, so, you know, I pay her every month to try and get this thing off the ground and it never really did. It's so funny. She, she eventually became too busy with her therapy practice to keep going. So we just parted ways like a month ago, but she's still, we're still referring speakers to her because it's a great service, but keeping it under our umbrella just didn't make sense. So that was something I invested in that I know 
would and could work, but I was a, so distracted and B, she was busy with her therapy and C, it took a lot longer to get up off the ground than either one of us thought it would. Do you have any other advice and lessons for people who are starting their own company? (laughs) I will give you some advice I got recently. That is kind of funny advice. And I think, I think I'm guilty of this. I guess MC Hammer back in the day, he hired all of his friends and family and went broke. (laughs) So I just love people so much that that's one of my greatest weaknesses is I don't know when to call it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so even with speakers, I just let things go on too long and I just don't know when to call it. So I'm just not quite ruthless enough. I think finding that balance, know where you're, I think the biggest advice would be know where your strengths are, but know that those can come up and bite you in the butt and they can also be your greatest weaknesses. So what do you think about that group call? That was good. It's cool because you get to see what other people are doing. They're kind of in the same stage as me. Hopefully that was helpful. Definitely. Yeah. Actually, a lot of stuff. The Upwork thing was very interesting. So what's your plan as far as going forward? I mean, hopefully getting out of the rut that you're in. Well, I mean, things are happening like right now, you know, this week. I got, I don't know. I actually don't a hundred percent know the tactical. I don't, I don't know my tack right now. I don't know where my rudder's pointed, but I do know that I've slowed down enough in the last little bit to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I remember you. I remember you. I remember what you love and I remember what you're good at. Let's do that. And the people who want to stand alongside me, speakers and the people who work for me and I don't expect that anyone's going to bail on me, you know, when you're that honest. I think people have a tendency to walk next to you, but I need to get back to our core value and it's do it, have fun, make money. And it's loving, just loving people and making sure that we've got the right framework in place to stay strong. So that's, that's it. I can't get real, real specific just because I don't know right now, but I knew that I do know that we're getting back to who we are at our core and I'm excited about it. It's going to be severely painful and you know, hard. I think it's, it's going to be a really good thing. I like talking to entrepreneurs. That's what we're doing this. And hopefully the people listening, you know, they're, they're here to learn. Yeah. Even talking to people at different stages of their company right now, because what happens if I interviewed you maybe four years ago and maybe <laughs> at the height, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, it would have been all hype, man, right? right. Like, it would have been something very different. But the message, I think, is still the same. It's kind of fun to be able to just chat it through, especially at this real, God, this flashpoint right now. It's really fun to be able to do this. And I'll be able to look back on this and be like, oh, my God, that was hard. <laughs> right. And yeah, hopefully this helps the entrepreneur and yourself as far as just looking back and thinking things through. So, yeah. well, if anyone wanted to say thanks for doing the interview, what might be the best way for them to reach out and say thanks? I think hit our uh, website. You can just email me directly, Krista at cagency.com. Well, uh, thank you very much for coming on, Krista, and sharing your story. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. You know what I'm in the mood for right now? That's right. More service-based interviews. If you're in the mood too, then check out these episodes where we talk about how to service your customer. Episode 197 with two maids and a mop. Not to be confused with two girls in a cup. Episode 89 with the author Incubator. That's a fan favorite. Or episode 140 with Barbecue Smokehouse. And if we've already filled your passion bucket with plenty of episodes, well, why don't you join us on a group call? and meet some of our guests. All you have to do is become a Patreon member. I lead the calls and you get to ask the questions. So join us. Go to millionaire-interviews.com and sign up right now. And if you have any questions about the membership, feel free to message me on Pornhub. My username is 
bizboy69. That's B-I-Z-B-O-I-6-9. And as long as you're a Patreon member, I promise to respond to all your messages instantly. So become a member today.